Hi, this is Jared Ball, Chief Economist at the Committee for Economic Development of Australia, and you're listening to The Economist Corner. It's been just over a week since we brought you our last special edition to get reactions to the federal government's stimulus package in response to the coronavirus pandemic. A lot has happened in the last week, some unprecedented developments. We've seen massive travel restrictions introduced. We've seen the RBA's uh, emergency measures in the last day or so. And we've seen the cases of coronavirus continue to grow here in Australia and abroad. So to help make sense of the economic implications of this, I was joined by EY Australia's chief economist, Joe Masters. So to help me make uh, sense of the rapidly evolving economic impacts of coronavirus, I'm joined by Joe Masters, the Chief Economist of EY Australia. Hi, Joe. Hi. Thanks very much for having me. So it's, it's incredible to think that just over a week ago, uh, the government announced a $17.6 billion fiscal stimulus uh, in response to the coronavirus. And certainly the reaction at the time was broadly positive from uh, economists, but then we've seen events unfold so fast in the last week, we're expecting to see another um, fiscal package from the government uh, potentially over the weekend. Can you just reflect on the nature and magnitude of this crisis and and why it's so much different to anything we've experienced in recent decades? Look, as you said, it's unprecedented, except that unprecedented almost doesn't feel like a big enough word anymore. It's been absolutely incredible how quickly um, this, these events have unfolded, both from a health community and society perspective, but also increasingly now from an economic perspective. And we've seen you know, these so-called black swan events, um, which is something that you can't foresee, but is catastrophic in nature. We, we've seen them before, but this one does seem to be much more ubiquitous. Um, it's spreading across the world um, and across sectors of our economy and the communities that we live in. I guess there's a few things that are different this time um, that we are facing this black swan event. The first one, and perhaps the most obvious one, is we just live in a more connected world. And that's true from a business perspective, from the global supply chain, um, from everyday Australians traveling more widely, more often, more broadly. Uh, just an example of that, uh, that I'm using with our clients to illustrate how connected the world is, uh, your iPhone, if you have one, travels to f- over 40 countries before it gets to you. So 40 countries are involved in the supply chain there. I think the other thing that's really different this time around is where the world was at when this event hit. Um, there are elements of policy support and changes in the economy that occurred during the global financial crisis that we haven't actually unwound. So this crisis has come along and already interest rates were very low. Um, the world was being flooded with you know, cheap cash. There was lots of liquidity um, that had seen high asset prices. And of course, in most economies, including Australia, at least some sectors of the economy were carrying really high debt. In our case, it's um, households. Uh, in the US, it's more corporate uh, and government debt. So that's really different. The framework wasn't quite as resilient uh, this time around. And the third point I would make is there are three channels that these events can influence the real economy. 
And at the moment, what we're seeing with this event is that all three have been impacted at the same time. So we've had a supply shock, that disruption to the global supply chain, an aggregate demand uh, shock, so a very rapid reduction in demand from businesses and households, uh, and also a liquidity shock, so parts of the financial system that have been struggling to, to do their job to get money into the economy. So that's three out of three, which is uh, pretty significant. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fantastic summary of of you know why this time is different. You know, our um, the extent to which we have global value chains and the iPhone is is a fantastic example. And obviously, the weak kind of position uh, that many countries have come to face this crisis. And also, as you say, we're we're being hit uh, in all the channels at the at the same time. And I guess a uh, you know, in that unprecedented environment for, for economists like you and I, it's, it's always a bit frustrating uh, how long it takes to get um, official economic data. And we obviously won't see the official March GDP numbers for some time yet. Um, apart from the daily headlines that we're seeing, where are we already or where are you starting to see some of the deterioration in economic activity and confidence at the moment? Yeah, so it is really challenging, especially um, for economists uh, the normal run of data just feels so dated. Uh, we got February employment data this week, which actually made the uh, labour market look okay, but February just seems like a long time ago, given how rapidly events are moving. Um, so there are a, a few more regular um, data points that we can look at. I mean, we've got the ANZ Roy Morgan Weekly Consumer Confidence Index, so that's something that I'm really eagerly anticipating every week. Um, I'm also seeing... Um, lots of charts and some good work done on things like Google searches of recession, um, charts around the um, number of bookings on open tables, so people um, eating out at restaurants. Uh, we've seen a move by the ABS uh, to try and get some preliminary uh, releases into the market. So we got a preliminary retail sales read this read. It captures about 80% of the full survey, so actually not too bad, but um, it's, it's pretty difficult. Uh, it, it seems very clear that the economy contracted in the March quarter. Um, the estimates of the impact of the bushfires over the um, early part of the quarter was that they've knocked off 0.2 percentage points of GDP in the quarter. And we've seen those estimates from the government that just looked at the impact of the coronavirus on uh, tourism, on the tourism sector and those sectors most clearly impacted. And that was a, a knock of 0.5. So that's a total detraction of 0.5. Uh, and the economy is growing at, um, you know, sort of 0 0.5, 0 0.6 over the last year or so. But clearly events have kind of worsened since then. So it seems pretty clear that Q1 will contract. The question now is, can we, quote, save Q2? Um, the technical definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative uh, growth. I think it's going to be pretty difficult to have a positive Q2 um, for a few reasons. The first one is that at the moment, what we're seeing households do is hoard. I mean, we've all heard those anecdotes around, you know, toilet paper and empty um, supermarket shelves and the like. But eventually households will actually reduce um, their spending and boost their precautionary savings. And also uh, the shifts that we're seeing in the way that we live our lives will have an impact on household spending. So, you know, cancelled sporting events, um, working from home. I don't know about you, but I'm having my coffee at home and not buying it in the cafe. Um, so those sort of things will also impact. 
And also businesses, particularly small businesses, when faced with extreme uncertainty, which is clearly where we're at at the moment, tend not to uh, go out there spending. They don't invest. And we've had some measures by the government to try and improve that, but I think it's going to be pretty hard uh, in the current environment where people are so fearful and uncertain to get a real boost in spending in Q2. Yeah, I think they're, they're really good points, Joe. And th- thinking about beyond this kind of panic spending that we're seeing, just how kind of consumer behaviour will settle, I think that's that's really important. And um, interesting that you, you talked about the open open table data that's available. You know, the last time I looked at it, um, it looked like globally um, seated diner kind of numbers were down 80%. And here in Australia, they were down 50% on the same time last year. So um, clearly that that's a big, a big impact there. So yesterday's announcement by the RBA, big announcement, and, and the RBA governor has made it very clear that they will do uh, whatever it takes. And particularly, as he said, uh, you know, as part of a bridge to get to the other side of this crisis, and minimise the damage to the economy and people's lives. Um, an emergency rate cut, perhaps, you know, the rate cut, you know, people have become uh, a little bit more blasé about those, but also the beginning of, of quantitative easing. Um, what what did you make of the package and what's your, your verdict on it? So history tells us when your economy is hit by a black swan event, and this is a big one, that you pull all your policy levers as early as you can, as hard as you can, and in a coordinated um, way. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Um, I think early has been hard because um, the events have deteriorated really, really rapidly. Um, But we have seen from the RBA, as you said, you know, a multi-pronged approach at supporting uh, the economy. Uh, So that included, as you said, the rate cut. We've also got a form of quantitative easing in terms of yield curve targeting, but also the term facility, the exchange settlement balance. I mean, some of those things are really technical, but these are all aimed at ensuring um, the ongoing functioning of your financial system. So that is getting money through the system into the households and businesses that need it and can spend it. Um, Ensuring that uh, we have plenty of liquidity uh, in, in our economy and ensuring that interest rates are low and stable. Um, I guess with the suite of packages that we've got, that's now not just around those short-term or variable interest rates because we're doing more than just cutting the overnight cash rate. So now, you know, interest rates right out to that three-year market, a minimum will be anchored at or very close to 0.25%. And even beyond that, these measures will actually lower interest rates or flatten the yield curve uh, in in another way. Um, The other thing that this suite of packages does is it makes it very clear to households and businesses that low interest rates are here to stay. Um, Now, we heard the RBNZ put a very clear uh, forward guidance, very, very explicit. Uh, Our central bank has said interest rates will not go up until we've made progress towards full employment. Well, we measure that at 4.5% unemployment rate, and we're currently at 5.1% and likely to go higher in the near term. And until the bank is confident that inflation is moving sustainably back within their 2 to 3% band, well, we've been, been below band for some years now. Um, core inflation is running at 1.6%. So clearly on those metrics, interest rates are low and going to remain low for quite a considerable time, at least a couple of years, I would think. Uh, so I think um, 
I, you know, I give this package an absolute tick. It's pulling all levers. It's pulling all parts that the RBA has. And it's being complemented by other parts of government. I think it's really encouraging the degree of coordination that we're seeing. Yeah, and I think to to that uh, end, you know, talking about pulling all levers and coordination. Obviously, the the government, the federal government, is planning a, a further fiscal announcement uh, potentially this weekend. Um, how much of that do you think is is really about the survival of business and and absolutely protecting workers' livelihoods for for a period, as opposed to perhaps what we've seen traditionally in terms of stimulus packages? Yeah, I mean, this package, I mean, it's unprecedented in the sense that we're getting a second one so quickly uh, uh, after the um, $17.6 billion that we got last week. Um, look, I think, um, I think there is an element there that is that survival of businesses and, and incomes of everyday Australians. And, and that relates to Governor Lowe's expression around the bridge, just getting us through this crisis, uh, which is just having, you know, such a big impact on our economy, as I said, three out of three channels being impacted. Um, so I imagine the package will be large. Uh, I'm not going to put a number on that because uh, things are moving really, really quickly, but it, it will be large. Um, it will clearly be aimed at, um, as you said, sort of protecting livelihood. And in order to do that, you need business to keep operating and particularly small business. And that's where the focus was in the first package. Um, there's some focus there from the RBA's measures yesterday. Uh, small business as, um, tend obviously to run a slightly tighter cash flow. Uh, so they tend to get impacted when you get this big aggregate demand shock really quickly. But small business in Australia is a really big employer and a really important employer. So doing what you can to alleviate the cash flow, to keep small businesses operating, to employ people, but also to provide um, the, the goods and services that, that we want and need to consume uh, in our everyday lives, even though our lives might look a little bit different at the moment. Um, so look, it will be big. Um, it will be pretty widespread, I think. Uh, and it will be aimed at both trying to support aggregate demand, but also just that bridge to the other side. Yeah. And I think, I think in terms of that, that bridge, we're also, we're all obviously trying to stay positive in the face of this crisis and, and the barrage of, of news that we're facing every day in terms of the toll of this, this pandemic. And apart from, apart from obviously, you know, lots of interesting social media on people working from home and um, things like that. Are, are you seeing any positives in terms of Australia's kind of resilience and adaptability in the face of some of the, these issues? I think that's a really great question. Um, I, I've obviously been out talking to a lot of people this week and um, it's really nice to get a positive question, actually. Um, so, look, I, I, I think there will be positives and they will become more apparent over time. Um, it's a little bit hard at this point, um, I guess, to kind of see past the immediate uncertainty and, and fear and, and what we're facing. I do actually think that... Uh, workforce flexibility will be one of the silver linings out of this crisis. Um, we've got firms um, that are working from home. We ourselves at EY are working from home, but we've got parts of our economy that um, were sort of less advanced in trying to get that flexibility into their, into their workforce. Um, so uh, from a diversity and inclusion point of view, and that's a topic very dear to my own heart, I think at, over time, this will actually be really good. You know, we will learn to work more flexibly, uh, more remotely, um, and that, that will be embedded into sort of the culture of our everyday living. 
Um, I don't know about you, but uh, this week I have done um, podcasts, uh, webinars, internal briefings, live TV from my home on a handful of platforms. So I've learned more about tech in the last week than I think I've done in some time. The other thing I'm seeing, which I think is uh, positive uh, in all of this, although not necessarily easy, is just uh, firms and, and individuals asking hard questions. Um, so, you know, what does my supply chain look like? How do I build resilience? What does diversifying um, both where I get my supply and my demand from, what, what does that look like? Um, how can I operate more effectively? Uh, how can I boost productivity, which is something we talk a lot about in this country? And then I just guess um, on a lighter note, um, you know, social media is full of stories about the waterways in Venice being clearer than they've been in years. So climate and sustainability, uh, you know, clearly very front of mind uh, up until about four or five weeks ago. Um, but, you know, encouraging to see those stories as well. Yeah, I think that's, I think uh, they're all really, really good points. And to your point around, you know, working from home and flexibility and technology, it's amazing uh, the sort of strides that I've seen in the last week in terms of just um, the willingness of people to switch how they work and, and move online very quickly. Um, so it's, it's, it's good to see. On that note, on that positive note, um, it's, um, it's been great to talk to you, uh, Joe. Thanks for your uh, insights and, and we'll look forward to uh, staying, Cedar, staying in touch with you in, um, in coming weeks Fantastic. and months. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on and I look to, forward to uh, continuing the conversation. Hi, I'm Jared Ball, Chief Economist at the Committee for Economic Development of Australia, and welcome to another special edition of our podcast looking at the impacts of the coronavirus pandemic. Well, it's Wednesday, the 1st of April, and certainly in the last week, we've seen a really sharp focus on the labour market impacts of this crisis. Uh, we've seen some really concerning images of queues to Centrelink, uh, and we've also seen the government respond with a major package, a $130 billion wage subsidy. Uh, so to talk more about some of the challenges emerging from this in terms of the labour market and the range of improvements needed across the whole spectrum of human services, I was joined by Ruth Owen, Human Services Lead at EY. Now Ruth has a wealth of experience, but perhaps most notably, she was the Deputy CEO and Chief Operating Officer of the UK equivalent of uh, Centrelink called Job Centre Plus during the global financial crisis in the UK when unemployment spiked. Hi, I'm Jared Ball, the Chief Economist at the Committee for Economic Development of Australia. Welcome to another CEDA podcast on the impacts of the coronavirus. Now, as we've seen in recent weeks, a key determinant of how we manage the coronavirus pandemic will come down to human behaviour and attitudes. It's therefore fortunate that here in Australia, Newgate Research are surveying the community on a weekly basis to better understand their attitudes to coronavirus. Today, they have released their fourth survey. So to discuss the findings and implications of the survey further, I was joined by Brian Tyson, Managing Partner Newgate Australia, and Sue Verko, Managing Director of Newgate Research. Hi, I'm Jared Ball. Chief Economist at the Committee for Economic Development of Australia. Welcome to another Economist Corner podcast. 
where we continue to discuss the impacts of COVID-19 with the experts. The economic impact of COVID-19 is likely to have a significant impact on the Australian housing market. Demand for housing will be susceptible to the loss of jobs and income in sectors at risk across the economy. Likewise, new construction may also be disrupted by the need for social distancing and the availability of materials from global supply chains. So in order to break down what this means for the housing market, I was joined by CoreLogic's Group Research Director Asia Pacific, Tim Lawless. Tim and I talked about everything from the effects of past downturns on the property market to how the market might look different on the other side of COVID-19. I hope you find the discussion as informative as I did. Well, thanks for listening in to another episode of the Economist's Corner podcast. It was great to keep my record intact of ending these podcasts on a relatively positive note. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform it is that you listen to your podcasts on. For more COVID-19 coverage, such as our blogs and live streams, jump on the CEDA website, cedar.com.au. You may also be interested in our Housing Australia report we released in 2017, also available on the CEDA website. And finally, keep up to date with everything that CEDA is up to by following CEDA on social media. You'll even find me there and happy to take any questions or feedback on the podcast there. Until next time, please stay safe and keep social distancing.